Welcome everyone uh, to the Harlem region of the New York City Church of Christ. We are very, very uh, glad to have you. My name is James Warren and my wife, Zalika Warren. Together we, uh, oh, she, they, they said they can't see you, babe, so you got to stand up. There she is, all right. Uh, together we serve the Harlem region, the Harlem region of our church. I do want to, before we get into our message today, uh, just to make a few corrections to the announcements. Uh, we apologize for the video. Uh, there was a, you know, a little snafu, but we'll have that for you next week. Uh, there is a midweek service coming up this Sunday. I mean, this week, this Wednesday. Uh, because next Wednesday, the schools are closed. So we are all meeting together this Wednesday. All right, that was not Leslie's fault. That was mine. And also, next Sunday, uh, we'll be joined by the Big Apple Church. So you'll, we'll get to hear... From one of our elders, Al Baker, he'll be preaching the word uh, next Sunday. And there is no midweek the following week, December, December, I'm already at the end of the year, October 9th, all right? Next, this Wednesday, we're meeting together. The following Wednesday, Wednesday, we're not meeting together. Next Sunday, we're all here together, and we will be joined by the Big Apple group, uh, so it'll be a little, little more snugger than usual. All right, let's go to God with the word of prayer. I brought my wife. Usually I'm up here solo preaching the word, but this is so important. I had to bring extra firepower, so I asked my wife to come and join me with this message. So let's go to God with the word of prayer. Our gracious and awesome God and Father, we, we want to thank you for giving us a beautiful day. Uh, Father, we want to thank you for starting this mission to reconcile man to yourself. Father, I think we don't realize just how important this mission is. But it was so important to you that you gave your son's life to see that this mission is seen through. Father, there's so many people in this world that are hurting, that are dying, that are oppressed, that feel invisible and forgotten. And you started a mission to see that an end can come to all that. And you called a group of people, imperfect, damaged, wounded, but yet willing to make a difference. And Father, we are grateful that you called us out of darkness into this wonderful light, that we can make a difference in our world, in our time, and we ask that you will empower us to do so. I pray that our message will be inspiring, will be encouraging, it will be directed by your spirit, and we pray that we'll leave here deciding to join in the fight. For those of us who are on the sidelines, I pray that we'll give up that and, and get into the fight. Join the battle against darkness in this world and help us to make a difference. We love and thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you know, we, we want to thank all of you for joining us this morning. Uh, we invited you here for two reasons. One, to make a difference. We want to encourage you to make a difference. We believe that God has gifted each of us with the ability and the desire to make a difference in our world. And secondly, to choose community. Oftentimes, people go about it alone. They want to try to make a difference by themselves. But we want to invite you to join a community of those who are equally passionate about making a difference in our neighborhoods, in our society, and eventually in our world. I'm pretty sure that if you look at the news, if you walk out the door, you'll see that there's change that needs to be done. And God has equipped every single person, man, woman, teenager, 
senior, to be able to make a difference wherever they are. Our mission is very simple. Know God and make him known. Love God and love your neighbor. It doesn't get any more simple than that. And I know you may be like, well, James, I can love God. It's the loving my neighbor part that I have a hard time with. So I'm going to really need you to inspire me today for this, bro. I can love God because I love Jesus. I love what he did for me. I love how he blessed my life. But it's that loving my neighbor part that I have a hard time with. You know, two friends of ours just had their car broken into just this past weekend. And I know that they're having a hard time loving their neighbor. But you know what? Even car thieves need a little love because the alternative is eternal separation from the one who can save them. I don't think we realize just how desperate people truly are, that they're willing to risk their lives to take up property that belongs to other people. I think it makes even clearer the mission that's before us. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11, you know, human beings crave meaning. We want answers. We want to know how big and vast the universe is. We want to know how many stars there are. We want to know the distance from the earth to the moon. We want to know what a black hole is and what it does to stars and, and galaxies. We want to know how an ant can lift ten times its weight. We want to know how deep the deepest part of the ocean is. We want answers. We want meaning. It's a part of who we are. And guess what? God put that in us. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also planted eternity in men's hearts and minds. A divinely implanted sense of purpose working through the ages with nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. Yet, so that men cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. There is this deep sense of curiosity that is in all of us. And it comes from God because we are searching for the eternal. Our souls were made to live beyond our time here on earth. It's the only part of us that can live forever. And God, because of sin, had to separate himself from mankind because God cannot have anything to do with sin. He set apart. It's like light and darkness. One will cancel out the other. In God, there is no darkness because God is pure light. And because of sin, our relationship with God suffered. And God has done everything in his power to reconcile that relationship, to fix what was broken, to mend what was wounded and, and heal the brokenness that's in our relationship. We all have a longing for eternity. We wonder, what are we here for? Am I here to be a teacher? Am I here to be a musician? Am I here to play in the NBA? Am I here to be the next golf prodigy? What am I here for? What's my purpose? And this is because God has given us a soul. Unlike any of his other creatures, we long not to just exist, but to live meaningful lives, to make a mark in this world, to leave a legacy behind us. We long to make a difference. We want to matter. We want to feel like our lives contribute to something to the people and the world around us. 
and many causes have been championed by those who see the darkness in the world and mean to expose it to light. You know, I went online to see just how many causes and movements there are just, you know, 2019. And this is what I found. As you can see, there's not just one, but many. It's amazing. But what this tells me is that people want to see a difference. People want to matter. They want to feel like their lives contribute to something. Now, unfortunately, not all movements are moving in the right direction. Some fight to be free from any and all moral responsibilities. Not all of these movements are because they see wrong in the world. Some of these are because, wait a second, you can't tell me what to do, so I'm going to start a movement. I'm going to start a cause that's going to free me from any responsibility, any accountability, because I'm my own person. What's my point? People crave to make a difference. We want to make a difference, whether it's good or for bad. We want to make a difference. We want something different. And ironically, God has been trying to do that since the very beginning. From the very beginning, God had to contend with the hearts of man. In Genesis 6, verse 5, it says that the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. When God looked at mankind, all he saw was evil inclinations. And at that time, there was one guy who stood out. You know who that was? Noah. Now just imagine living in a world where only one person is good. And everyone you encounter only has evil in their hearts and mind all the time. You may be like, well, James, that's, that's, that's my block. That's my neighborhood. That's but there's some people, I mean, there's some good. You see, you know, some people hold the door for you. Some people let you in the lane and not speed up when you're trying to get over. Some people will correct you. Hey, I'm sorry, I gave you, you know, I didn't give you enough change. I mean, there, there's some good, right? But in his time, all people wanted to do was evil. And God said, enough is enough. And so God started a movement with Noah. I'm going to start over because I don't like what I see. The Bible says that his heart was grieved that he made mankind. That's sad. That's sad. You see, the mission has a sole purpose, to reconcile mankind to himself. And because this mission was so important, God had to choose someone that he trusted that he knew would see this mission through no matter what. That he would give his very life 
to see that his relationship with mankind is reconciled, is repaired, is thriving, and that was his son Jesus. And I can only imagine the conversation they had up in heaven and say, look, do you see what's going on? Do you see what our creation has become? We need to do something. We can't just stand, stand by and watch mankind destroy themselves. What can we do? And I can imagine Jesus saying, you know what? Send me. Send me to show them who you really are. Send me to, to be a living, breathing example so that they can see that their God is not of invisible and indifferent and, and, and distant, but that he truly loves and cares. Show me to be the example. And I can see God saying, but you know, we got to deal with the sin condition. And there's only one way to fix that. There has to be blood. Because sin leads to death. What are we going to do about that? I love them, and I'm ready to give my life for them. And Jesus comes to earth with God's mission on his heart, engraved on his heart. And his mind is set, his, goal, his, 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 his focus is steady, and he knows this has to be done. Because otherwise, the alternative is we're all lost. So the mission is very clear. Reconcile man to God. And God's plan involved Jesus, but then somewhere along the line, Jesus said, you know, I can't do this by myself. Because if I did it by myself, it would take a lifetime. So I need some help. And that's where we come in. That's why you're here. Because Jesus wants you to help make a difference. He wants you to join a community of believers who are out to make a difference. And with the help of his son, we can call people to make a difference, to choose community, and become difference makers. Amen? So the first thing we're, we're asked to do is to make a difference. You know, you can make a difference wherever you are. A small change can send a ripple effect to an entire family to an entire household, and to an entire neighborhood. It only takes one person to change, to show other people that I can change, to show someone else that I can change. It only takes one bold act of someone saying, you know what, I don't want to fit into the world anymore. I don't like how things are going. I want to, I want to stand up and I want to make a difference. That's how most movements started. Someone standing up and saying, no, not anymore. And people are willing to risk their lives. Over in China right now, there are protests going on. People are being thrown in jail, being, being uh, uh, shot with water cannons, sprayed with mace for a cause that they believe in. Willing to stand in front of tanks and armies, risking their lives for something that they're passionate about. How much more should those who love God? How much do we desire to make a difference? In John chapter 3, it's very clear that Jesus was sent to make a difference. 
In John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to, to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for their sins will be exposed. You know what? This is why I stayed away from church for as long as I did. It wasn't because I didn't like the preacher. It wasn't because I didn't like the, I loved the singing. And sometimes after church, they have food. I always stuck around for that. Actually, it was a pretty decent group of people. But why I stayed away was because I knew I was doing things that if anybody else knew I was doing, they wouldn't think James was such a good guy. And if I'm honest with myself, I enjoyed it. You see, that's the first part of making a difference is accepting the fact that you love what you love. Because otherwise, you won't see the need to make a difference. You won't see the need to be different. I had to own the fact that I actually enjoyed being in the darkness. I didn't want to talk to anybody about Jesus. It's the simple fact, simple as it is, because I knew what that was going to mean. That was going to mean I had to stop dating around. That was going to mean I had to stop partying. That was going to mean I had to stop lying. My whole persona was built on a lie. Now you're telling me i got to break all that down? Even though it was hard keeping up with all the lies I told? Remembering, did I tell her my name was James, or did I say it was... Eventually, your lies catch up to you. You say, oh, didn't you tell me your name? I thought your name was... Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I enjoyed it. I got a thrill out of being deceitful. It was a game for me until I realized that I was actually not close to God. And then I realized, all right, I got I to gotta be different because I can't make a difference if I'm not different. If I'm just like everybody else that, I, that I'm hoping to change, then I'm not making a difference. Now, I love this quote. If you desire to make a difference in the world, you must be different from the world. We must be free inside to make a difference outside. I try to curse, stop cursing on my own. But as soon as I got angry, it gave me permission to curse. And I realized that if I'm going to change this, I've got to have a deeper change on the inside. If I'm going to make a difference, then I've got to be different from the inside out. You know, Jesus inspired people to change from the inside. He showed them by being different. In Mark chapter 2, verses 15, it says, Later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home. As a, dinner, as a dinner guest, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable or notorious sinners, people who everybody knew were sinners, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, 
saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. That was a rebuke. I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know their sins. In one translation, it reads, outcasts. Let me ask you a question. Are you a sinner? Guess what? You're exactly the person Jesus is looking for. You ever felt like an outcast in your family? At your job? In school? Then you are a prime candidate to be a part of Jesus' community. You are exactly the people Jesus is looking for to make a difference. You're like, James, you don't understand. I really am jacked up. Then you may even get a job in the church. Because God loves highlighting the worst of the worst to show just how much he wants to make a difference. Just how possible it is for him to change someone and watch that person change those that are around him. Sometimes we sit around and we think that, well, I got to be this and I got to be like this and I got to talk like this and I got to dress like this. Jesus is like, what? He hung out with the people that the religious leaders cast out. These guys were excommunicated from the temple. They couldn't even go to church. Jesus is like, I don't, what's wrong with them? Matter of fact, I'm coming to your house tonight. See, in order to win Matthew, he had to go into Matthew's world. Sometimes we can be so self-righteous as Christians and avoid... <sighs> Avoid people. That's not how Jesus was. Now, here's the thing. He didn't condone the way they were living. Jesus didn't get drunk and do all the stuff that they were, you know, that they were doing. But when Jesus spent time around them, they were attracted to the fact that he was different. And he didn't judge them. He said that he didn't come to judge I mean, he didn't come to bring that final judgment. He came to inspire people to come out of that light. Yeah, let me show you a different way. Let me, let me show you a different way. And people were drawn to that. They loved it. And Jesus inspired them to make a difference. If you desire to make a difference in your world, you must be different from the world. My wife will come up and share now. Amen. Good morning. It's an honor to be able to share this message with my husband this morning. And I want to repeat the quote that he just said. If you desire to make a difference in the world, you must be different from the world. When the individuals who make up the world change, then the world changes. I know uh, many years ago there was a song out many of us are familiar with, Man in the Mirror. And one of the key lines in that song is, if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make a change. Right. Well before those lines were written, Jesus had already shown us this truth. Jesus knew the only way to affect lasting change, it had to begin with the heart of the individual person as they came to know his father his love for them, and his desire to give them a full and fulfilling life. 
Jesus understood that sin is what complicates our lives. Our sinful attitudes, our sinful actions and thoughts, and the sin of others around us and how it affects us. This is what makes our life difficult. This is what makes our life challenging. It brings heartache. It brings pain. It brings suffering into our lives. By exposing sin, offering forgiveness, and showing a better way, he would give us an opportunity to be different. I want to talk about how Jesus made a difference in women's lives. At a time in history when women were most frequently seen and treated as second-class citizens, Jesus shows us throughout the Gospels that in his eyes, women had an intrinsic value equal to that of men. He valued them because they were human, because he created them, and he created them for greatness. A few ways I see this in the scriptures are, first of all, that he addressed women in public regularly. In a time when it was uncommon for a man to address a woman in public, Jesus did the opposite. We see several instances when he spoke to women directly in public. I think the slide behind me shows the Samaritan woman in John 4. The woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. The widow of Nain in Luke chapter 7. The woman with a bleeding disorder, Luke 8, Matthew 9, and Mark 5. A woman who called out to him from a crowd, Luke chapter 11. A woman who had been, been bent over for 18 years, Luke chapter 13. And a group of women en route to the cross in Luke 23. These are just a few examples of how Jesus was really revolutionary in his time. He really gave value to women, and he spoke to them directly and engaged them and wanted to make a difference in their lives. We also see how he valued women by how he spoke to them, not just that he spoke to them, but how he spoke to them. We see Jesus' value in that he spoke to them with a certain measure of gentleness. We never see Jesus rebuke a woman or be harsh with a woman. He had a certain understanding of respect and gentleness for women. He spoke with care and concern, tenderness and respect. We also see in the Gospels, in terms of the value of women being equal to men, that he did not gloss over the sin in women's lives. The women that he met, just as he did the men, he held them personally responsible for their sin. Their sin was not condoned, but confronted just like the men around them, they needed to deal with the issues of sin, repentance, and forgiveness. Jesus involved women directly and closely in his ministry. In Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, we see some of the women that were involved in Jesus' ministry. The scripture says, Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. These are women that traveled with Jesus, but if you notice, he made a difference in their lives individually first. There were demons that came out. He healed them of diseases and sicknesses. And because of that, then they wanted to go and make a difference. And he allowed them to be with him. Where at a time that rabbis, they didn't even entertain having women as students. 
Jesus had these women travel with him. Page after page, we see Jesus in the Gospels talking to women, helping women, teaching women, serving women, traveling with women, and even receiving financial support from women. They were not overlooked. They were important, and he wanted them to know his father. One of the key women that I believe Jesus made a difference in her life was the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Jesus, after a long journey, comes to the Samaritan village of Sychar in Samaria. He sees a woman there by a well, and he initiates a conversation by asking her for a drink of water. In John chapter 4, verse 9, if you can read along with me there. So he talks to her. In verse 9, it says, The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Now it starts to get real. Okay, Verse 16, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. What an interesting conversation. (laughs) Starts with water, but quickly Jesus turns the conversation into a much deeper conversation. Um, This Samaritan woman, it's interesting. Jesus, when he makes a difference in our lives, he addresses the things that are deep within us, the things that are hidden, the things that are secret. And this woman had been through a lot. She had had five husbands. How painful is that? If you think about it, I I wonder, how did these marriages end? How do you have five husbands? The only way they could have ended was through a separation or or some kind of divorce or through death. Either one of those happening one time is extremely painful emotionally to go through. But she continued to marry. And at this point... No, I think she may have just given up on love, given up on marriage at least. Like, you know what? I'm done. I've done it five times. Let's just live together. We can relate to this. She was living with a man she wasn't married to. There was a thirst in her, but it wasn't just a physical thirst. It was an emotional, spiritual thirst. There was hunger in her to have a deeper uh, meaning in her life, to have love, to have compassion. These are the things that she desired. She needed this living water that Jesus had to offer, that she would never be thirsty again. And, you know, after they continue to have this conversation, they start talking about worship and places where Samaritans and 
and Jews worship, then Jesus says this to her in verse 23. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who called Christ, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now, this is really interesting because, first of all, he talks about worship. He talks about the fact that there's going to come a time where worshipers will worship God, not on a specific place, but in spirit and in truth. He's giving a preview to the future of his kingdom. And then he tells her, she says, well, you know, maybe this is confusing to her, but the Messiah is going to clear it up. He's going to make it clear. And then he says, you're talking to him. You know, this is the first time that Jesus told someone that he was the Messiah. Who is this conversation with? A woman from Samaria. This is, this is revolutionary. He exposes to her before anyone else that he was the Messiah. She didn't have to be confused anymore. She didn't have to long for fulfillment anymore. He was going to give her this living water that she so desperately needed. She needed a Savior so badly. And he was there to provide that to her. He knew her life was a mess. That's why he was talking to her. But he offered her living water. It was free and it was available to her. And in John chapter 4, later down in the passage, we see how she responded to this message. In verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because she went and she told them, this man told me everything I ever did. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. Oh, it's funny. He didn't really tell her everything she ever did. But just talking about the romantic relationships alone, I think that was such a deep thing. He felt like she totally, he totally exposed her in everything she had done. Verse 40, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Once the Samaritan woman had this encounter with Jesus, he exposed her sin. He showed her that she could have living water. She then went back to her community and told them about her experience. She ministered to the Samaritans. And the scripture says that many more came to believe in Christ. But it started with a personal conversation with Christ, making a difference in her. And if we want to make a difference, ladies, we have to have a personal encounter with Christ. We have to allow him to expose what's in our hearts, what's deep inside of us. And then once he gives us living water, he makes a difference, then we can go make a difference in others' lives. Amen. Matthew and the Samaritan woman, personal encounters with Jesus. They had to become different in order to make a difference. And I just want to point out that like the Samaritan woman, we all have a community that we're connected to. Whether that's your immediate family, whether that's your close friends, or, you know, Matthew, he, he went out and he showed all his friends and said, hey, I have this guy coming to my house to have dinner. You need to meet him. 
And the Samaritan woman went back to her hometown and said, hey, I found someone. I believe this is what we've been looking for. And, and they came to faith not because of what she said, but because they heard it for themselves. Sometimes our friends and family need to hear it for themselves. Your testimony is amazing, is great, you need to keep sharing it, but it's nothing like hearing the word of Jesus for themselves. The second thing, a part, a second part of God's plan to, to see this mission is to create a, a community and to choose a community that would go out and share the good news. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, you know, once Jesus had, uh, we're giving you a little fast forward here, Jesus had came, come to earth, he, he taught many things, he, he uh, saved many people, healed many people, but then just before Jesus went to heaven, he left behind a charge for his disciples. And, and he gave them a mission, he gave them a vision on how they could make a difference. And so we're here fast forwarding now, we're seeing a, a photo, a, a sort of a snapshot of what the first century church looked like. And here in uh, Acts 2 verse 42, it says, They continually devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to times of prayer. So in other words, when Jesus left, they didn't just stop because Jesus was now gone. They continued to learn. They continued to obey the teachings. Then it says a sense of awe came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they shared everything with one another. They made it their practice to sell their possessions and goods and to distribute the proceeds to anyone who was in need. They had a single purpose, and they went to the temple every day. They ate at each other's homes and shared their food with glad and humble hearts. They keep praising God. They kept praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And every day, the Lord was adding to them people who were being saved. God's plan was to send his son on a mission to reconcile the world to himself. Jesus could have, he could not have, he could have done it alone. He's, he was God in the flesh, but it would have taken a lifetime for him to do this. So he chose to choose a community. He chose not to do this alone. He, chose, he, he realized the power in personal example. He realized the power in people seeing lives change and transform right before their eyes. And so he chose a community. He chose to teach outcasts and sinners how to be different and make a difference. And this is the snapshot that we get to see in the church. Now we have another snapshot of what it looks like. This is what it looks like now. This is the Harlem family. This is us called out believers who are together, who share everything with one another. Now, we believe that Jesus died for a reason. And we believe that we need to share that with each other. Many of us have stories of how someone in this fellowship has been by our side, has seen us through some hard times. Many of us who may have felt like outcasts on the outside, feel safe on the inside. Now, here's the thing. We're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to hurt each other. But that's why we have to make sure that we're built on the teachings and love of God. Because there's forgiveness. There's reconciliation. We, deal, we, we, we work things out because that's what real family do. Now, there are people who have uncles and brothers and and and, and 
who hadn't spoken to their parents in years. That's not the standard. God's standard is love. He wants his community to show the world as a different way to go about living. Some people are okay not talking to a, a brother or a sister for 20 or so years. Jesus will never be okay with that because his love runs too deep for his people, for his family. He called us to make a difference. He called us to be different. You know, one of the things I appreciate about this church is that the people in this, in this church are not only there for you when, you need, when you're hurting, they're also there to celebrate with you. I remember when my daughter was born right here at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital, there was a brother, one of my roommates, he was the, you know, this is like after, you know, obviously before I was married, but he, the first guy to show up, and this was like after midnight, he got on the bus or however he got there, he was there to celebrate with me. And I thank God, none of my friends before joining this community were there. He was there. He was there to celebrate my daughter's birth. And I'm so grateful. That's a memory I always cherish because that's what we do as a community. We share with each other. When we're hurting, someone's going to call you. Someone's going to text. You may not want to hear it, but they're going to do it because you're part of a community. If you want to, you know, sometimes... We're sick, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I don't want phone calls. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to get through this. But people can't help themselves because we are family. James is sick. What? Are you okay? I'm getting calls. I'm getting texts. I'm getting Instagram, all that stuff. Bro, are you okay? Because people love me. And you know what? You can't shut people out when they're trying to show you love because you're a part of a community. If you're hurting someone's going to want to be there for you. And I understand there are sensitive things that go on in our lives that everyone doesn't need to be. No, but let somebody in because this is what it's all about. We got to show people that, man, you know, you can come here and be you as long as you're being like Jesus also. God wants us to keep our uniqueness, but he also wants us to be like Jesus. No one should ever be afraid about being judged by their sin in God's community. That's, a, that's a, uh, an unfortunate uh, tag that churches have. Oh, I don't want to go to no church because the people are nosy, they're, they're two-faced, they're backstabbing, they gossip, they're in your business, da 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 We need to change that narrative about God's community. That should not be the case. And the way, we, the way we counter that is by being different, which means that if you love gossip, it's got to change from the inside. And you have to hate gossip. You have to replace gossip with speaking the truth in love, being trustworthy, being humble, being approachable. If people are concerned about, about, their, uh, about being hurt, then you know what? If that's, that's something that in you, if you're harsh, then you know you got to be open to people saying, hey, man, can I talk to you? The way you come across is abrasive. It's harsh. Who else is going to tell you that? You know what happens outside of, of God's community? They talk about, about you behind your back. They post it on social media. My coworker is blah, 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 blah. But in God's church, in God's family, 
We talk to each other about things like that. Hey, your kids are running around kind of, uh, you know, can we? Somebody's going to, somebody, you want somebody to talk to you about that, right? Rather than talking behind your back about it, I thank God. Hey, you know what, bro? Your son was you know, talking a little much in class. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll talk to him. Rather than, yo, oh, James, I don't know. James is a legal son. is crazy. <laughs> talk to me about it. That's how we deal with things in our community. And the world needs that. There are people right now who are hurting and have nowhere to turn. There are people right now who are desperate because they don't know where they fit in. Jesus made outcasts feel welcomed in his presence. There was something about him, the way he carried himself, that people felt like, man, I want to be like this guy. Not only do I want to be like this guy, but I want to do what he's doing. I want to make other people feel this way. And that's how it is when you build community the way God wants you to. The world needs to see something different. The world needs to see something different. And we're on a mission to do just that. Amen. I think how we make a difference, as James talked about, was really building on love. John 13, 34, Jesus says, love as I've loved you. And that's really the foundation of making a difference is love. It's loving one another. It's loving God. It's showing other people love. And I want to highlight some of the women who were a part of this community. In the scriptures, we see this amazing uh, fellowship of believers who were devoted to God, who were devoted to one another. And um, one of those women is Lydia. In Acts chapter 16, verse 11, this is right after Paul and um, his followers had received a vision. Well, Paul received a vision that uh, a man was begging them to come and spread the gospel in Macedonia. And so they got up and they went. And when they got there, they went to find a place to pray. And they came across Lydia. In verse 11, it says, We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the, in, uh, the island of uh, Samothrace. And the next day, we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some of the women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Theatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart. And she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. (laughs) Pushy, right? No. But she was so grateful for this uh, encounter. And um, a couple things about Lydia. She was a businesswoman. She was a dealer in purple cloth, probably wealthy, because purple cloth is very expensive. It was something worn by royalty. There's no husband ever mentioned in any instance when Lydia is mentioned. I'm not sure, but she may have been a single woman. I'm not sure. She shared the good news with her household. She was grateful, and she opened her home to them. 
Later in the chapter, we see that the church met in her home. If you read, uh, continue to read in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are thrown in prison. And when they are released from prison, they go to Lydia's house where they meet the other disciples in that area. Lydia was the first convert in this area. Um, she was a worshiper of God, but she was still willing to be taught. Lydia was humble. And uh, I, really, I relate to Lydia. I grew up in a home where I was taught about God, and we worshiped God. But I needed moving to New York, being on my own, not being a part of a community. I, I really needed people to help me understand that God didn't just want me to be a worshiper or a churchgoer, but he really wanted me to be a part of his mission. I didn't know how to do that. I needed someone to teach me what does it really mean to, to walk with God and to study the Bible, to be his disciple, to be his follower. These are things that I was taught by the women in this church, and I'm so grateful for them. I'm so grateful that God sent someone to me, just like he sent Paul to Lydia. The disciples went to all kinds of people. This is a woman that already worshiped God, but she needed to understand the truth about Jesus and his gospel and what he was there to do, his salvation, and to be able to help other people. And they brought this message to her, and this is the same message that was brought to me with people sharing their faith with me, sitting down and opening the Bible with me, and teaching me that Jesus really wanted me to be a part of his mission. Another person, uh, another two women I want to highlight are Eunice and Lois. Eunice and Lois in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Okay. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. This is Paul talking to Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Just a, a quick mention of Eunice and Lois. But they have raised Timothy, who was an evangelist in the young church. And Timothy's dad was not a believer. He was a Greek. He, didn't, he wasn't a disciple. He didn't follow in this way. But these women of faith influenced Timothy to learn. And to pass, they pass on their sincere faith to him. And that's part of how they contributed to this community. They helped Timothy to grow in faith. He became one of Paul's uh, right hands. He helped to advance God's kingdom. Eunice and Lois were great women of faith. A woman of faith is a powerful woman. Like many of the women in this room who are mothers, who are grandmothers, we're trying to pass on our faith to our children. This is such an important part of being in the community of believers. Another woman was Priscilla. In Acts chapter 18, we see that Priscilla, with her husband Aquila, ran into where they were tent makers. They worked with Paul. They ran into a man who was teaching about Jesus but didn't really know the full gospel. His name was Apollos. In verse 26, it says, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Again, Priscilla was a tent maker. She was a married woman who worked together with her husband in business but also to advance the gospel. Together, they helped Apollos to know the full gospel of Jesus and become a part of the community of believers. Women in the church did not just practice hospitality and open their home and raise children. They also taught people. This, she sat and she helped her husband teach Apollos the way of God more adequately. She's mentioned several times in the New Testament as an aid to Paul and his ministry. 
The church met in their home. This was an incredible woman. In Romans chapter 16, at the very end of the, the, the book of Romans, there's a whole list of people that Paul uh, commends and wants to greet in the church in Rome. And he asks for several of those that labored, labored in the gospel with him to be greeted. At least nine of those names were women who worked hard. He said that worked hard for the gospel. I just want to say that women, whatever stage of life we're in, if we're Lydia's, if we're Eunice, if we're Lois, if we're Priscilla's, whatever stage of life we're in, we are a part of God's mission. They were all different, but because of their faith and love for God, they made a difference. Personally, I am grateful that I'm a part of a community that gets to make a difference. And I, I just have to take a moment because my husband comes up here every Sunday, and he's so good to me. He always compliments me as a wife. Can I just brag on my husband a little bit? Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, but I'm grateful because my husband helps me to be able to be involved in the mission. He helps me to make time to spend with God, especially when I had small kids. He helped me make time to have my own devotional time with God. He encourages me to meet with other women, to encourage them and teach the Bible to them. He takes on more at home, like cooking and cleaning and homework with the kids and whatever is needed so that I can have time to build up the community of believers. And this is so important if women are going to be able to really make a difference. We have a lot on our plate. We need support. And I'm appreciative of the sacrifices that he, sometimes there's things he wants to get done that he sacrifices to help me. You know, I think it's very clear in the scriptures that the church is, that Jesus intended the church to be led by strong men. However, that's a role. That doesn't equate to our worth. Women are meant not to just be under men in a role of lesser value, but also not to take over men, but to have a divine partnership where we use our unique God-given gifts, talents, and qualities to affect eternity in other people's lives. Thank you. As we close, I just want to make clear, I did not write that for her. She wrote her own part, all right? But thank you. Thank you, my wife, my lovely, my lovely bride. Uh, you know, one thing I can say is that she makes what I do a lot easier. Uh, it helps to carry the burden that we have on our shoulders when we have strong women behind us who are also a part of making a difference and a part of the community. Uh, it's very hard to be a part of a mission when you're going two separate ways. And so our invitation is for everyone to work together. Even as disciples, we can think that the church should go one way when the church is actually going another way. God is the head of the church, and he gives us the directions. He tells us which way to go. And I want to close out with Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus told his disciples, I've given all the authorities in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus sent his followers on a mission, a mission to make a difference wherever they went as a believing community. I want to close out with this quote, and then I want to ask, I want to ask, you know, just put out there how you can join the mission, how you can be a part of this. 
You can make a difference by getting to know God individually, allowing God to make a difference in your life personally so that you can make a difference in someone else's life. And then secondly, choose to be a part of a community of believers that's doing it. You don't have to start something on your own. There's people, we already got the ball rolling. We just want you to come along. And if you're not ready to study the Bible just yet, if you're not ready to fully commit, there are other ways you can join our community. We serve our community. Uh, we, we, we help uh, a lot of people here in Harlem. We, we try to help out the schools that we're a part of. We try to help individuals, uh, uh, you know, just by, just by serving through our, our different benevolent programs. If that's, where you, if that's where you're at, then come in where you're at. Jesus met people where they were at. If that's where you're at, then we welcome you. We don't close our doors to anyone that's not ready. We're, our doors stay open. So we just want you to come along and hopefully join us and bring a friend with you. I want to close out with this quote. Do more than belong. Participate. Do more than care. Help. Do more than believe. Practice. Do more than be fair. Be kind. Do more than forgive. Forget. Do more than dream. Be. We love you. We thank you for your time. And God be the glory.